Well, you know, Mother's Day, we celebrate and honor our moms today. None of us uh, would be here if it were not from our moms. And so we express our thanks and gratitude uh, uh, for them and to them. We also know that this day can be a difficult Sunday for many different reasons. So many mixed emotions can be attached to Mother's Day. Uh, motherhood, parenthood for that matter, can be messy and it can be hard. And so I want to just pray for, uh, for moms and dads this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can come to you with everything that is on our hearts. We thank you for the gift of our mothers. We ask that you would bless them and keep them. That you would encourage them in the task that they have. It's often a, a tireless, sometimes thankless uh, responsibility that you have entrusted to them. Um, but Father, we just pray that you would give them the grace to carry that out each and every day. For those who find today difficult, we pray that they might be able to bring any of those anxious and concerning thoughts to you. For those dealing with broken relationships with their children, or maybe with their own mothers, we pray for reconciliation and restoration. For those who are single and have a desire to be married and have children, we pray for an ability to surrender to your will and to your timing. For those who are married and would want to have children but are experiencing the pain of infertility, we pray that your grace would be more than enough. For those who have experienced the grief of losing a child, we pray that you would comfort them in their sorrow today. And for those couples wanting to adopt but are confronted with obstacles, we pray that you would make their path straight. And for those moms who remember dedicating their own child to you, but today that child is not walking with Jesus, we pray that you would fill them with hope and encouragement and that they would ultimately know that they walk in your care and in your grace. And so, Father, again, we pause to thank you, to praise you for the moms, the memories of our moms, and we ask that you would bless and strengthen the moms here today, that your face would shine on them, and that you would give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll admit to you that I, I find these special days challenging. Um, I come to even Mother's Day with my own mixed emotions. May of this year is six years since my mom passed away. Um, but just as I prayed, we do want to acknowledge the moms here today and honor them and celebrate them. And, uh, but also just to be honest about it, that it, that it can be difficult for some. Um, <clears throat> what I find particularly challenging, though, then for myself is in this particular context, then deciding what to speak on. And I realize that on, give, on any given Sunday, really, we have this huge wide variety of people from different backgrounds, um, different ages, different perspectives. And so how do we speak uh, to a particular theme? Um, does that mean then we potentially ignore others? Um, and so what I've concluded simply is this, is that in essence, all of us share one calling in common. And that is that God calls us out of wherever we are and calls us into relationship with Jesus and with others. And the greatest calling that every one of us have is to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So the only distinction really that may be between us is whether or not we have responded to that call of God in our lives and on our lives. But whether we have or we haven't, I'm wondering if I said something there, uh, all of a sudden there we go. We know that, dismissed it earlier, but um, 
See, why did I say that? Now I'm totally lost. But really, so the only distinction really that we have between us is, is um, whether or not we've responded to the call of Jesus on our lives. And, and, and so really, the best thing that we can do, I think, is just to look together at the Word of God and that we can learn together more about this calling on our lives and how we can then live that out, whether we're moms or dads or single or, or uh, uh, widowed or, or seniors or grandparents or whoever we are. We come together this morning to look to God's word and ask him to say, how then do we live this out in whatever context we find um, ourselves in? And so that's uh, what we're going to do this morning. So in order to speak to this widest audience possible, I've decided that we're just going to continue in our series of messages that we've been in for some time now um, on, uh, from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we have captured uh, the heart of this letter simply with the word deeper. That's our prayer, is that as we understand who God has called us to be and how we can live this out, that we can go into a deeper relationship with him and with one another. It's really an invitation to walk in a deeper way with Jesus. We've already covered some very important ground. And so as we've been reminded on on several times now by Pastor Ken and and, uh, Pastor Adam as well, that the first three chapters of this letter to the Ephesians, they're they're theological. They're kind of setting the foundational theological uh, framework for what is to follow in chapters 4, 5, and 6 when it becomes much more practical. And so the first three chapters saw Paul address such crucial matters as who we are in Christ and what God has done for us, the spiritual blessings that we've received uh, from Christ, how a person is made alive in Christ, and then ultimately how God calls us out and together and how the church is formed as a result. And so now in chapter 4, we move from this more theological perspective to a practical perspective. How then do we apply this? How do we live this out in our lives? And Pastor Ken, over the past couple weeks, has looked at the first 12 verses of chapter 4. And this morning, I will pick up where uh, he left off last week. Now, just for a quick review, uh, verse 11 um, informed us that Christ gave to us, to the church, equipping gifts. That the purpose of these equipping gifts or the responsibility of those with these particular gifts is simply to equip God's people, that is the church, to do his work and to build up the church. And so we have this progression, this movement really is uh, from um, pastors and teachers doing the training and equipping to the church who then is trained and equipped to use Uh, to serve, and so that then this church ultimately will be built up, that it grows, and that those in the church, those in Christ, would grow up. In other words, Jesus gifts leaders so that they can train believers to exercise their own specific gifts for ministry that build up the church. Spiritual gifts, then, are for the benefit of the whole church, not just for the individual person. So then, let's take a closer look at verses 13 to 16, because they are all about growing up. And so I'll give you my three main points, and then I'll unpack each of them. The goal simply is maturity. The contrast that Paul will, will make is with immaturity. And the context that we live this out in is community. So first, the goal is maturity. 
Beginning in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4, and I just realized exactly what happened this morning, is that uh, after the child dedication, somebody was actually supposed to read scripture, and, uh, and I just jumped in and started with my message, and then after the scripture, the kids were supposed to be dismissed. Now, you didn't need all that information. You probably wouldn't have even had an idea that we just completely, uh, I completely blew it, but um, here we go. So verse 13 This, Paul is referring to the training, the equipping, will continue until we all come to such unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And so the goal of the church is that those who are in the church would actually mature, right? It's it's so basic. They would grow up. And if we are in Christ, our goal is then to grow up as well. And so what does this maturity like look like? Well, there are three descriptions that Paul makes here of what maturity looks like in this one verse, verse 13. First, he says, we come to such unity in the faith. You see, unity is far more than just having a, a loving and tolerant attitude. It is uniting around the core Christian beliefs. If you go to our website, you can read a summary of what we believe to be core Christian beliefs. And those ultimately who become members of TCC, they accept that these are common truth to which we all agree and will adhere to. Now, to approach these truths from this perspective is what we do. As we say about all of the truths that we, we, can, we can hold on to is simply this. We say... In essentials, and this is not new to us, this is a quote that, that, that you can Google, it's attributed to many different people, but uh, in, in, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity, right? So these faith statements that we then consider essential, around those statements we desire to have unity. But For those things that are more on the non-essential side, that's not that they're not important, but they're just not essential. They're not uh, an essential core truth of of the faith. But for those things that are non-essential, we're going to extend grace to one another and uh, um, uh, just to, to realize that we can have different views on different things. But our attitude to one another, whether around the things that we agree on or even the things that we disagree on, should always be love. And that's why we say, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. And that in itself is a sign of maturity in that we're always continually learning about our faith and we're growing together to understand what it means to follow Jesus, to grow, as, as Paul says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another sign of maturity is this, knowledge of God's Son. The Apostle Paul, also in writing to the Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, he put it this way. He says, yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. 
And so we simply get to know Jesus through his word, through the Bible. The Bible is God's self-revelation. When we read the Bible, when we study it, we get to know Jesus. We learn more about him. And Paul says here that this is of the greatest value of knowing Jesus Christ. It, but it's not just head knowledge, as significant as that is, it is also heart knowledge. Because he adds this, he says, I want to experience the mighty power of the resurrection. And that experience comes through interacting with God's word, it comes through prayer, it comes through listening prayer. We talk about hearing God, and, and, and there's a, a seminar going on right now that we repeat over and over again, because we believe that that's so critical in our, in our faith walk, is that we would learn to discern and to be able to hear the voice of God. And as we do that, through word and through prayer, God whispers his truth to us and his love for us, And there simply is no substitute if we want to get to know Jesus. To know him in our heads intellectually, but to also know him in our hearts. To experience him. To walk with him. To live out this relationship with him on a daily, ongoing basis. And lastly, the third sign of maturity is this. He says, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So Jesus simply is the standard to which we measure our maturity. Again, that is the goal, that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we can ask ourselves, do our actions and do our attitudes, do they reflect those of Jesus Christ? Do they measure up to the standard that he has set? And Jesus set a standard for the way that he treated others. And so we just simply ask, do we resemble that standard? Are we at least working towards that? We're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to get it right. But if this is the standard that he set, is that the direction and the reflection and the desire of our hearts to go in that that direction? So we are all a work in progress. But there is a goal, and that is to become mature, to become more like Jesus. Uh, I stated at the introduction to... Um, the, the child dedication, that the mission of TCC, as we've kind of unpacked this over the last number of months even, is simply that we desire to be a church that walks with Jesus. First of all, that we know Jesus, so there's that knowledge again. But to walk with Jesus, there's that relationship with him. But then to share that with others, that we don't keep that to ourselves. And it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It always has been and always will be. And so this knowing, this walking with and sharing him with others is how we live this out. Now, if we still aren't sure what this maturity looks like, that we have this, um, uh, that we're, we have a grasp on the, uh, on core faith um, beliefs, that we know Jesus Christ, that we're measuring up to the standard that he, that he set to us, Paul goes on to kind of paint a contrast. And so really, th- there's this continuum, right, from immaturity to maturity. And uh, he describes what immaturity looks like as a contrast here. And so the New Living Translation uses the phrase, immature like children. Now, I'm glad that the children are out because I don't want to offend any of them, but I think we could all agree that when we look at most children, they have varying degrees of maturity. Um, And if they're not yet mature, we can say that they might be immature. There are many things that they haven't learned or experienced. And, um, you know, um, uh, if you have teenagers, 
they think that they've learned everything that, uh, um, that they should and that they always know better than you and all those kind of things. I've never had those issues with my kids. I just told them that mom's always right, and, uh, and so they've, they've learned that. But, um, but Paul uses two examples of immaturity here that are, I think are true of children when you stop and think about it. First, he says that people who are immature, he says they're tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. So what he's saying is that people who are immature in their faith, they have this instability and they're susceptible to every kind of false teaching. Any new teaching that comes along, they're like, oh, have you read this book? Have you heard about this? And, and they're, they're just all over the place. And there never seems to be a solid foundation um, uh, in terms of what they actually believe because they're always pursuing this new thing. And as a result, um, they're, they're very vulnerable to being led astray like children. Right? I mean, you, you put a child in a room with, with 10 different toys, and in most cases, I know some kids can be really focused and they get their favorite toy and they just stay there, but in most cases, within an hour, they're going to just like play with everything. They're going to go over here, then they're going over here, then they're going to run over here. It's always going to be the new thing. What is it that we haven't touched yet? And they're also vulnerable and easily persuaded. And so Paul is drawing this contrast, and he's saying that, that, that believers who are immature, they're also vulnerable and easily persuaded because they're not anchored in God's truth, right? When they're tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, there's really this metaphor of being anchored in God's truth, that instead of having a grasp of the essentials of their faith, they can easily be taken um, and led astray by any kind of new teaching, whether it's true or not. I've only ever been on a sailboat once. Are there any sailors that, that enjoy sailing here? It's not like we have like large bodies of water to like pursue this necessarily, right? But, but um, I've only been on, on, a, on a sailboat once before. It was actually on our honeymoon, um, which will be 24 years in September. So um, as Pastor Ken said last week, yes, I am an old pastor. Um, <laughs> I heard about it. Um, but on our honeymoon, we went on a cruise. And, uh, and one day, we took a, like a little side excursion, and we went out on a sailboat. And there were two other honeymooning couples with us, so there was just six of us and then the captain. And as the captain is sailing us out, we're going to go out to this little island. We're going to do some snorkeling out there. And um, he's telling us all about the, 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 the sailboat and the, the, the weight and the, and the keel, right? And the keel is the piece that sticks down underneath the bottom of the boat. You don't ever see it but you have to believe that it's there. And, um, and so we're just cruising along. It's a beautiful day in the, in the Caribbean Ocean somewhere. And uh, we're all sitting out on the bow of, of the boat. And, and we could kind of look across the ocean, and we kind of thought, you know what? That looks kind of dark and gray over there. What's that all about? And I'm, I'm not kidding you. In an instant, we were slammed in the middle of this wicked, wicked storm. And um, the couple that was closest to the cabin, like, they just hightailed it in, and they went down underneath um, in, in, in the sailboat. But Tina and myself and another couple were stuck on the bow, and we're riding out the storm. And there's these guide wires across the side, and we're hanging on. And this boat, from the wind of the storm and the, 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 the power of the storm is completely tipped over. And I remember at one point, I'm hanging on so I don't fall off the back or off the, uh, off the other side, but I looked over, and that side of the, of the boat was in the water. So it, it's, it's leaning like this. 
But I don't, you know, in the midst of that, as frightening as it was, because it literally was, and the rain was, the driving rain, it was literally hurting our faces. I remember that, just kind of like tucking down and trying to protect my face from the power of this, of this rain. But we remembered what the captain had told us about the keel. Because he said, the boat will never tip. It'll go over, but it'll always right itself up. It'll always right itself up. And so I just kept thinking, I have this information that I need. And even though I can see that we're about to go over, even if we go over, all I got to do is hang on, and this thing is going to throw me back up, and it's going to right me back up out of, of, uh, out of the water. We were anchored to that truth that the captain had shared with us. I want to suggest to you this morning that that is exactly the same way that a mature Christian, at least one who is growing up, one who is anchored in God's truth, when the inevitable storms of life come and they hit you hard and they slam you completely unexpected, you need to have something to hold on to. And you need to know that even in the midst of that storm, there is something that will right you back up. And you need to just hang in there, hang on, keep on, and know that that storm will pass. Paul then says that immature followers of Jesus will be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. So clever that they sound like the truth. So he says another sign of immaturity is that not only are you tossed about by every kind of teaching, he says you can also easily be tricked. You might say that they're gullible. Children can believe just about anything. Believers can believe just about anything. If it even sounds close to the truth. Do you know children like that? You can make up almost any story and they'll just believe you. Um, trusting, maybe to a fault sometimes. But they, they don't know any, any better, do they? When Lucas was a baby, an infant, he would touch my nose and every time he did, I'd make a sound. And it was like this buzzing sound. me, Right? And I just did that. And I just thought I was having fun. But he quickly thought, like, well, that's kind of fun. And so he'd pinch my nose. And as long as he pinched my nose, I made the sound. And I just continued that on and on and on. And it wasn't until he was like 13 or 14 that he figured out that it doesn't really happen. It's not, not quite true. But, but when he was a baby, he was gullible. He was an infant. He didn't know any better. I tricked him. Um, it was super easy. See, when, when people who handle money, whether they work in a bank or even in, in retail... They're trained to spot counterfeit bills. Um, they're not exposed to all of the different counterfeits because counterfeiters are always trying to, to counterfeit money. And so there's all sorts of different counterfeits out there. But they are trained then to know what a real bill looks like, what it feels like. And now they have um, some some really cool security features, right? When you look at our new, new bills, and even the American bills have some things that I was reading about and looking at uh, when we were on vacation. It's like, this is pretty cool. Depending on what angle you ter- hold them, they actually change color and all these kind of things. Um, but the standard 
in teaching people what a real about to be able to spot a counterfeit is to have a really good grasp on what the real bill looks and feels like. And that helps them spot the fake ones. In the same way, a mature believer who is trained to know the truth so that when someone tries to pass off something as truth or close to the truth, they now have a true standard to compare it to. They're not confused or led astray by counterfeit truth. And so those who are immature, they're tossed about and they're easily tricked like children. That's what Paul says. And so the church uses Going back to verses 11 and 12 that Pastor Ken shared with us last week, the church then uses pastors and teachers, leaders, to train and equip believers. This is what we do as a church. This is what we're about. And we do that through the regular preaching and teaching of God's Word, like we're doing this morning. We do that through other teaching and growing opportunities. And... Is that me, Tim? No, not sure? I guess I'm just static electric today. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, Anne leads, at least through the course of the year, three groups of ladies through uh, what we call refresh during the week. Adam leads a, a, a morning, um, a weekly men's prayer time that begins with reading a chapter of the Bible and just discussing it for a while before we get into praying. Uh, yesterday, almost 40 men gathered again for breakfast, and then Pastor Adam taught on, on, uh, on uh, again, looking at, at, at Ephesians from the Bible. Um, earlier this year, Adam taught a How to Read the Bible course. It's, it's available as an online uh, podcast, so you can study it on your own schedule. But these are tools and resources that we want to give to you so that each of us will continue to grow um, and mature as we as, as, as staff provide training and equipping because we're all on this journey, this continuum from immaturity to maturity. And of course, the goal is maturity. The context of this, just to close, is community. Paul goes on to talk about the context for growing up, for maturing. And he says that instead of being immature, he says, we will speak the truth in love in verse 15, and then we'll serve each other. Verse 16, he says, as each part does its own special work. And so we have these two pieces, speaking the truth and serving in the context of the body of Christ. And Paul here is saying that whenever we teach the truth, whenever we proclaim the gospel, we should do so in love. That is the way that Jesus taught, and he is our example and our model. Because we are, he says, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Right? There's the standard. We're growing up to be more and more like Christ. And so verse 15, in fact, is a restatement of verse 13. But Paul now adds his favorite metaphor, a picture of the church as the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head, and we are all a part of the body. Some are more visible than others, but sometimes it is those things that are unseen that are absolutely critical, where every member functions under his leadership and in, in and independence and interdependence on, on one another. And so he uses the physical body as this example of what the church is. Christ is the head, and we um, are his body. And so some of us are fingers and hands and some of us are legs and toes and some of us are our brains and hearts and, and 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 together we do what god has called us to do 
And so you see what Paul is explaining here, because earlier in chapter 4, he was saying that everyone has been given a gift, a special ability to use within the context of the church. And these gifts were given to each person for the benefit of the others. And so, for example, I, I know I, I can be prone to discouragement. I can easily get down and overwhelmed. But if you have the gift of encouragement, simply a note or an email, it can be so helpful. Because then when I'm encouraged, I can use the gifts that God has given me to serve and to lead others as well. And so there's this mutual interdependence in the body of Christ. And so again, do you see what Paul is saying? He's called each of us out. He's called us together. He has formed the church, which which in the Greek literally means the called out ones. And he gives everyone in the church at least one gift. And some have the gifts that are intended to train and equip others so that the gifts that they have been given will actually be developed and used as well. And so then when everybody is doing their part, you have this wonderful picture of this growing and maturing body. Now, if you notice verse 16, Jesus says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. It's really incredible when you think about it, that he pulls all of us together out of these diverse backgrounds and and, and the differences that we have, but he fits us together perfectly within the context of the church. Each body, exactly what we need, so that as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so we find our place to serve. And we find our place to speak truth to one another. Maybe that is in the context of a small group or a home group. But we understand very clearly that we live in a place to grow up where there's a mutual responsibility Mutual, mutual relationship, and we encourage one another in that. You can't do that online, friends. You can't do that, you know, as, as the old saying used to be, like, oh, I haven't seen a church for a while. Well, I've become a bedside Baptist. Have you heard that before? It doesn't work. Yeah, you can hear messages, but you can't live out your faith in the context of community because that is ultimately how we then grow. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your word, for the truth of it, and how we can live this out in the context of community. We recognize that you have called us out. You've called us to follow you, and that we have this incredible gift called the church to walk it out together with. And so, Father, I pray that you would help each of us to know Jesus more and better and deeper. And that we would walk with Jesus on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. And as we do that, that we would share that relationship with others, be an encouragement to others, and to help others on this journey of faith as well. And so we give you thanks for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.